Life just doesn't seem to be fair, and it happens a lot. So I'm going to give you all a saying that I'm going to ask you to say uh, every now and then throughout the message. So if you repeat it after me, you'll, you'll understand what it is. It's, that just isn't fair. You ready? That just isn't fair. That just isn't fair. That's one of the things that we're going to be looking at today. Does it bother anyone else when you see someone who's uh, somebody that we would consider like bad? Somebody who sins a lot, who seems evil, but they seem to just be doing well. They're just, they seem to be prospering. Does that ever bother any of you? Does it make you say, that just isn't fair? Does that ever happen? Is it just me? I see that all the time. And I'm like, man, it just doesn't make sense. You look at Hollywood, you look at the music industry, and you're like, all they do is put out trash. And they're rich. They have everything they want. That just isn't fair. It just doesn't make sense. Say it with me. That just isn't fair. So we see people who live sinful and even evil lifestyles, but it seems as if God is blessing them. They have it made. Anything they want, they can have it. Psalm 73 is written by a man named Asaph. Asaph was kind of like what a worship pastor would be today or a choir director. He was that man for David and probably Solomon also. He was like their worship pastor kind of. So he's obviously a spiritual man who spent a lot of time doing spiritual things. Asaph is the type of guy who was at church every time the doors are opened. Someone who many people would look up to. In Psalm 73, though, he opens up his heart and tells us about these secret doubts that he is having, which I feel as if we can all relate to. He is disheartened because he sees the prosperity of the wicked, and he is realizing that life just doesn't seem to be fair, and it doesn't seem right. Look with me at the first three verses where we see the problem presented. Psalm 73, verses 1 through 3. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The first thing that Asaph says is, truly God is good to Israel. Remember, he's a churched man. He's like the worship pastor. He's at church often. He's around the things of God. He knows God is good. He knows that. And that's the first thing he says. Truly God is good to Israel. But he says, I know that God is good, but something is bothering me. There's just something that's just really irking at me that I don't know how to answer it. He says, I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph knew that God was good to Israel and to those of a pure heart, but Asaph was noticing that it seemed as if God was being good to the wicked too. Asaph began to get maybe a little bit jealous. He began to see their lifestyle and say, you mean they get to live a sinful lifestyle and you are still good to them? It's like him saying, after me, that just isn't fair. It just doesn't seem right. Asaph isn't alone. I know that I have felt this way before too. But Asaph is supposed to be a very spiritual, high-in-the-church type man. So he probably feels as if he shouldn't bring these out or if he shouldn't talk about them. Asaph is thinking, man, that just isn't fair. He begins to highlight the good life of the wicked. Look at verses 4 through 9. He says, For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. 
Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart, than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. He says there are no bands in their death. They seem to still have their strength and their peace even in death. Perhaps Asaph had seen some wicked people die bad deaths. But the truth is he had seen enough peaceful deaths of wicked people to question and to say, man, that just isn't fair. They're wicked and they die this peaceful death. Why? Why does that happen? Why does God allow that? Why doesn't he punish them now with a a cruel death? Maybe they get eaten by a lion or something. He's saying it just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't seem fair. He says they are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. They seem as if, as if not only God is blessing them, but that they go through less trouble than God's people do. And he's saying that just isn't fair. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. Because God had not yet punished them for their sin, they continued to indulge in their sin. They wore their pride like a necklace showing off their sin. They said, yeah, I'm a sinner and I'm living a great life because of it. They're wearing it as a necklace around them, just showing it off that I'm still prospering even though I'm sinning. They were openly sinning and taking pride in their sin, but God still had not punished them yet. Instead, they indulged themselves so much in their sin, it's like giving a person who has no control over eating habits a whole cake. It's like saying, hey, you're not going to stop, so here's the whole cake. And you just give it to them. And they just eat it, eat it, eat it, eat it, eat it, and take pride in doing so. There's no control. There's nothing stopping them. They have more than their heart could wish. And that just isn't fair. He says they are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. They mock those who are suffering oppressions. For example, Christians. They say, Man, why is your life so hard if your God is supposedly so good? Why is there so much oppression if there's so much that you have to live for? If God is so good, why are you going through this? Look at me. I don't have God in my life. My life is great. He sees the prosperity of the wicked, and it's really, really messing with him. They mock Christianity and the things of the Bible, and it seems that they are everywhere. He says that they are not alone. He says they are so wrong and speak so wrongly of Christians and the oppressions that they face. And man, that just isn't fair. It just doesn't make sense. The next thing we'll see is the doubts of the godly. Look at Psalm 73, verses 10 through 14. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in, 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 in an innocency. That was hard to say. In innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. This wicked man is not alone. His people come back and drain others, causing them to doubt too. They, they also see the prosperity of the wicked and think, man, that just isn't fair. It just doesn't make sense. Asaph said that they set their mouth against heaven, and now he tells us what they say. They say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? They say, 
How does God know what's going on? If he has knowledge about what I'm doing, my wicked lifestyle, wouldn't he punish me? Instead, I'm prospering. You're supposedly doing what's right for a supposed God, and you're living a life that's suffering. That's what they're saying. They're oppressing Christians in that way. If God knew, he would punish us. If God does exist, he doesn't know anything. That's what they're saying. He says, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Asaph saw the ungodly life as the good life. They are always at ease. They always increase in riches. They are rewarded for their wickedness by a God who seems to be as unknowing about the wicked as they say that they are, as the wicked say that he is. It seems as if the wicked say, God doesn't know anything or he would punish us. And he's like, well, it seems like God is as unknowing as you say he is. Because you're right, that does make sense, and he's not punishing you, and it's really bugging me because that just isn't fair. That's what he's saying. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in in innocency, for all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. He says, I've tried to live a life pure before the Lord, and now I think it's all for nothing. Why am I doing this? If I'm not reaping any rewards right now, if everything that I'm doing... It just seems like the wicked are prospering and not me, who I would consider to be the righteous. The wicked get anything and everything they want, and I, the spiritual one, have only been plagued and chastened every day. That just isn't fair. Has anybody been there before, or is it just me? I feel like I'm doing the right thing, and life just gets harder and harder and harder, and then I see somebody who's doing everything wrong, and life is just a breeze. I've been there. I can relate to Asaph on this one. I feel you, man. I, <laughs> I've been there. That just isn't fair. So there, there is a perceived problem in Asaph's life. This does not seem right. Asaph has told us what the issue is, and now we are going to see the problem understood. The first thing he did is he told us what his problem was, and now we're going to see him understanding the problem. Look at verses 15 through 17. If I say... I will speak thus, Behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. We're going to notice here the power of a new perspective. Asaph was not going to tell everyone about his doubts, speaking them as truth. He wasn't going to go about and say, Hey, I know you say you're a Christian, I do too. Listen to this with me. Look at how prosperous the wicked are. How does that make any sense? He's saying, I wouldn't do that for the sake that I do not offend against the generation of thy children. He's saying, I don't want to promote this so that way your grandchildren don't believe this. He said, this is something that I'm dealing with personally that doesn't make sense, so I'm not going to promote it as though it is truth. But it was really, really, really hard for Asaph to get it. He says, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. He's trying to think about it. He's trying to reconcile it in his mind. But he says, it's just too painful for me. My my head hurts trying to think about it, trying to make sense of this. It's too painful for me. This was a big deal. He holds a high spiritual position in the church, yet he is about to slip over this issue that he just cannot seem to understand. He says, my feet had well nigh slipped. But then Asaph gets a new perspective. Notice that verse there. It says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. 
This is the transitional verse of this whole chapter. The, the pivot point of this whole thing. All of this, it isn't fair, it isn't fair, it isn't fair, it isn't fair, it isn't fair until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Asaph was, uh, commun- he communes with God and he understands the end of the wicked. After spending time with God, he understands their end. He's having this inward battle with himself. But we all need this moment where we go into the sanctuary of God and we understand what God's truth says. That's what happened to Asaph. It wasn't anything magical. It was the fact that he went into the sanctuary of God, communed with God, and God gave him answers. That's what happened. So the question is, what is this sanctuary of God? What is it? Is it the church? Is it our prayer closet? What is it? What is this sanctuary of God? Well, the answer is, it is where God is. Can it be church? Yes. Can it be your prayer closet? Yes. Can it be just your personal quiet time devotions? Yes. It's anywhere where you are and God is speaking to you through His Word and you're speaking back through prayer or worship or whatever. That is the sanctuary of God. So for, for Asaph, was it that he went to church and he heard a sermon about you know, what's going to happen to the wicked in the end? Maybe. Was it that he was just reading his Bible and found? Maybe. God spoke to him somehow, and that's when he understood their end. Tim Zacharias, is, uh, he's a pastor at Pensacola where Lydia and I both went, and he wrote a book called Secret Doubts. It, the whole book is on this chapter of Psalms, Psalm 73. I'm going to read a, a rather lengthy quote, but it deals with this, um, this idea of the sanctuary of God. He says, the negative truth from this passage is that like Asaph, you and I can operate around the tangible trappings of the service of God for a time and still be missing something. We can miss deep, meaningful fellowship with God. We can be there in body without really entering by way of the Spirit. Our bodies are called the temple of God today. The local church is called the house of God today. So not only do we carry God's special presence with us, but we enter another unique manifestation of God's special presence in the church. In fact, Jesus said where two or three are gathered in his name, he is in the midst of them. We do not even have to go to a big church with all the bells and whistles to experience this. Yet so many Christians enter into long seasons of doubt. Why? The problem is that we can be in the physical sanctuary, so to speak, without entering into the spiritual sanctuary. We can participate in a religious service without the presence of God and His Word powerfully stirring our souls to convince us, convict us, and change us by the truth. This inner sanctum interaction with God only happens by desperate dependence upon God through passionate prayer from a humble seeking heart. We have to draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to us. We have to cleanse our hands, purify our hearts, and tune out the world to tune in to God's Word. His sanctuary revelation can become remote and infrequent if we are not careful. Our tendency is to become so accustomed to the rituals and religious motions of the Christian life that we lose our awareness of God himself and we lose the deep desire for him and his truth. Let me read that last sentence again. Our tendency is to become so accustomed to the rituals and religious motions of the Christian life that we lose our awareness of God himself and we lose the deep desire for Him and His truth. We go to church, we go through the motions, we go through the customs, their traditions, 
and we never commune with God. God doesn't become real in our lives. It has a lot to do with what Pastor Tony was talking about this morning. It's not just about coming to church and doing the things that the church does. It's having that relationship with Christ. That's a lot about what he was talking about this morning. This sanctuary of God is our own relationship with God. When Asaph did this, pursued his relationship with Christ, whether that was through worship, prayer, Bible reading, meditating on God's word, or going to church, Asaph got the answer he was searching for. Asaph understood the wicked people's end. He knew what they had coming to them. We're going to see in verses 18 through 20 the unsafe place of the wicked. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awaketh. So, O Lord, when thou wakest, thou shalt despise their image. Asaph now understands their end. He understands what they have coming for them. The wicked, though it may look like a good life, are set in slippery places ready to fall at any time. Asaph knows that God will cast them down into destruction When it is time. He understands it may look like they're living a good life now. And if God never punishes them on earth, so be it. They will be punished. It's going to happen. I understand that now. With an eternal perspective, Asaph can now see that the wicked will perish in hell if they never repent. It will seem like the wicked were in a dream where everything was great and wonderful. It's going to seem like, man, you you, you say it too. Oh, they're just living the dream. And oftentimes, I would imagine they say, man, I am living the dream. I'm a millionaire. I got all this going for me. Everything's just working out. I don't need to trust in God. Who is God? What knowledge does he have? Until the end of their life happens, the rapture happens, and they realize, (laughs) man, it's like they just woke up from that dream and realized that they were only putting riches away on earth, never any in eternity. And it's It's all worthless. You can't take that with you. Saying, that is their end. And they will realize, and it'll be a harsh awakening. It'll be, whoa, what happened? Because what they wake up to is not going to be the dream that they were living. Next we see that Asaph confesses his foolishness and he receives guidance. Look at verses 21 through 24. He says, thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Asaph realizes his own foolishness. He says, man, how foolish of me to think that. How foolish of me to go around saying that just isn't fair. Because when he looks at his life and he sees, yeah, man, maybe my life was hard. Maybe it was on this little planet, but for the rest of eternity, I'm going to spend my time with Jesus. They may have have lived a great life on this little world, but for the rest of eternity, if they never repent, they're going to spend eternity without Jesus. Eternal separation. He realizes it was foolish of me to think that way. Asaph was questioning God by saying, as we do so often, that just isn't fair. He says, I was as a beast before thee. Animals, think of animals, 
How many of you have seen the movie, I think it's a movie, All Dogs Go to Heaven? I feel like I remember that from my childhood somewhere. All Dogs Go to Heaven, yeah, that's a movie somewhere. I hate to break it to you. Dogs probably don't go to heaven. If, I mean, I'm not sure I've never been, but I'm pretty sure dogs don't go to heaven. But he's saying, I was as a beast before thee. Saying I was like an animal. Animals have no concept of eternity. They don't. They don't understand heaven and hell. They don't have any concept of what happens after they die. They Honestly, they probably don't even have much of a concept of what death is. They're animals. He's saying, that's how I was. I wasn't looking into eternity. I wasn't looking into what happens after death. I was only looking into this life now. I was being like an animal. What can I get now? I can do whatever I want, whenever I want now, because I want to please my life now. I'm not worried about the afterlife. What happens after I die? Asaph was acting in a way that disregarded eternity and the future. He was, he was unprepared for what was going to happen. And now, after this sanctuary of God revelation, after this time where he just realizes, okay, that's what their future is, now he is prepared for it. He says, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Isn't that just a a very picturesque verse? I am continually with thee, thou hast holden me by my right hand. Almost see it as like a little kid, like holding up his right hand to Jesus, walking him around, guiding him through this. That's how I picture it. It's just something that you see and you're like, man, that just, it's great. It's just really great. It's awesome. Asaph knows that he can trust God's counsel. He says, I'm going to stick with you, God, and let you hold my hand and lead me. And he knew that God was going to stick with him. He says, I know my end because of what you have done for me. It would have been foolish for me to not let you guide me. He says, if I know what you're going to do, God, if I know where you're going to lead me, you may lead me through some trials, but you're going to be holding my hand through it, and I know what you have for me at the end of my life. Why would I ever doubt it? Why would I ever doubt your presence? Why would I ever say that just isn't fair? Verses 25 through 28, we see the glory of a heavenly hope. He says, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Asaph cannot wait to get to heaven to be with Jesus. So when we get to heaven, there's going to be people whom we love who will already be in heaven. That's that's truth. And we talk about oftentimes, man, I can't can't wait when I get to heaven to see this person. Somebody who has passed on before, people who were saved in our lives, who have passed away, that we are excited to see in heaven. Is that wrong? No, it's not wrong. But what Asaph is saying, who have I in heaven but thee, O Lord? Who do I have but you? It's going to be great to see all those other people, but really all my focus, all my attention is going to be on you, God. When I get to heaven, you're the only one I want to see. You're the one who my focus is going to be directed towards. He's saying, who do I have in heaven but you? He's saying, God is sufficient. 
God is enough to satisfy Asaph no matter how much fun it looks like the wicked are having or how prosperous it looks like they are. No matter how much it looks like their life is better than mine, God is sufficient for me. He's holding my hand. He's going to guide me and lead me through this life. Those who live a wicked lifestyle will pay the consequences, and now Asaph is sure of that. He says, But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all thy works. Don't worry about the wicked and their life. Worry about drawing near to God. He's saying, I quit focusing on how good the evil person's life seemed to be, and I started just focusing on drawing near to God so that he can draw near to me. I just dropped it. Yeah, does it, is it hard to think about? Yes, it's still painful to think about. If you really think about it, why do bad people get good things? Why do good people get bad things? If you sit and think about it, it's just, ugh. Like, it doesn't, it's, it's frustrating to think about because it doesn't make sense. And he says, so I just stopped thinking about it and started worrying about my own life. I know what their end is. I know what my end is. I'm just going to start thinking about my relationship with Christ rather than worrying about what they have coming for them. Trust in God and declare all that he has done for you, and don't worry about what the wicked are doing. So what do you do when you feel as if that just isn't fair? Maybe you know somebody has done wrong, and they're shown mercy, and they're let off the hook, so to say. You're like, man, that just... Say it with me, that just isn't fair. Isn't that just how we feel? He's saying, don't worry about that. Focus on drawing near to God and building your own relationship. Don't worry about what the wicked are doing, what their end is. Don't look at the prosperity of the wicked. Look at your own relationship with God and grow that. Trust in God and declare all that he has done for you. Don't worry about how the wicked are doing. So when you find yourself saying, say it with me, that just isn't fair, like Asaph was, and like I so often do, remember this passage. No matter how much it looks as if they are prospering, remember the end that they have coming to them and focus on drawing near to God and declaring His good works in your life.